it's like there I'm I'm there's no not a peep all day and then as soon as I start to record then all the animals <laughs> in my house are decide like oh is it chatty time let's be chatty come on guys let's talk let's let's gab hello welcome to the uh, we're annoyed by our pets that we choose to live with this podcast excuse me you have no pets i, you I am i am your host that lives pet free and has a completely fulfilled life excuse me this is this is coming mm-hmm. from you you do not have a fulfilled life and you actually have one of those rare apartments that do allow dogs and you choose not to get one hmm why is that greg uh, do, do allow dogs uh, are any dogs under 40 pounds actually dogs yes they are i, I would dispute adorable. that no they aren't no i can't wrestle with them excuse me yes you can yes i'm gonna roll over them in bed and, and crush all their bones <laughs> not intentionally obviously that's but that's what's gonna happen okay you know if it were a normal weighted human being i would totally agree but this is you a whale that somehow evolved to walk on land so yes <laughs> i do i do live in fear for those smaller pets how dare you all right i i will not go whale size sir i may be pear-shaped but i am not the size of a whale okay. i'm not a mountain of a person mm, yeah, oh well that's for true how dare you? <laughs> that's for true how dare you how dare you <laughs> throw in shade throw in shade that's mm. why oh this podcast is gonna be fiery it's gonna be hot <laughs> yeah only because you're annoyed by your pets john why why do you have pet what what fulfillment do you feel out of a out of an a-hole cat who will live to be about 100 years old i don't know i uh, first of all the cat is not mine it is my fiance's <laughs> And I have adopted her because we've moved oh, in together. Oh, here we so. go. So here oh, we here are. We go. Guess who? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was just going to be a segue into the fact that someone's getting married next week. Guys, Ooh. I am getting married, and let me give you a solid life advice. Yeah. One word. Bah, elope. Bah, 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 bah. Elope. That's all you need to do. <laughs> it is exhausting. Exhausting, I tell no, you. No, be surrounded by your family and friends. Ugh. How dare you selfishly just take the whole ceremony for yourself. I've been, re- I've been ready to party for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. All right, it's your fault you live in a, such a on de- uh, high demand uh, wedding city. It's not. It's not just about that, Greg. It's like I wish mm. we were the kind of gays who had families that abandoned them. But no, everyone's got to be supportive. Everyone's got to show up, <laughs> and now we have to feed these people. Ugh, the call, the unmitigated call. <laughs> John, weren't you just not to throw your friends out of the bus? Um, <laughs> God, I, I hope they don't listen to this podcast, but. Weren't you just at a wedding uh, where they didn't have enough food for you? That was like a year ago. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you understand. You can empathize with, you know, your guests are hungry and need libations. So keep them coming. Let's go. Oh, of course. But, you know, it's like that. that's the other thing. Society puts so much pressure on you to have a good wedding. We even have a TV show called Four Weddings where the actual goal, the competition of the show is to put on the best wedding. And Really? Yeah. You never heard about this show? No. Oh, it's well, like I I can see it already happening. I, I I can see also how yeah, now I can see how the wedding industrial complex turns it into <laughs> a show. They already do turn it into a competition, but to broadcast it as well, yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a show called uh, actually it might be Canadian in origin, but basically these like four friends who are all getting married generally around the same time uh ha- like each go to each other's weddings and then rank them so three of the four will rank how the wedding is going based on like decor on food on entertainment value blah 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 all those things and generally it's not like too it's not too biting obviously they're friends they kind of know each other but <laughs> sure i'm predicting all of those marriages have the same success rate as the bachelor or bachelorette oh how dare you greg how dare you okay <laughs> every week i'm picking up people and i'm i'm just i'm li- i live for that drama <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like, their lives are already drama, and they want to broadcast it nationally mm-hmm. um, to Canadian and American audiences, and God knows who else. I mean, these people are, again, this isn't like, this isn't a week-to-week t- competition show. This is like a one-off kind of thing. So the personalities mm. on the show don't tend to be too, like, reality TV show ready, if you know what I mean. They tend to be kind of okay. like the average house hunter kind of person. Oh, so they're complete dullards. Uh, <laughs> kind of, yes. They are quite boring. <laughs> okay. We're going to do a farmhouse-style wedding. Wow, really bro- blowing down the doors on this one. No, John, this is different. All right, we're going to light it with Edison bulbs. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Which are tungsten light bulbs, because that's what they're made out of. Whatever. Not some prick who... Yeah, they're old-timey. Anyway. We're going to call them Edison now. <laughs> yeah. Now, John, let me ask you a question. Do they try to put a wedding... Do they try to organize an entire wedding for the whole family within a month? No. Um, no. Okay. Yeah, because that would be fascinating. Not... I mean, that would be an interesting premise for a movie. I'd say. Oh, you're absolutely right, Greg. It would be a fantastic premise. And I can't believe you didn't pick that up immediately. Come on. It took me a second. I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> I never know where you're going because you'll start. You're like a Simpsons episode. You'll start somewhere and then it's like 15 minutes later. It's like, oh, this is the point I was actually trying to get to. <laughs> yes, the best Simpsons episodes. <laughs> 
Greg, master for storyteller or just boring? You've decided. <laughs> master storyteller. Anyway, John, I was supposed to say I was trying to segue into the movie we talked about this week. Your pick, one of your favorite movies. Yes, one of my favorite movies. And again, it's appropriate because next week I'll be getting married. So I decided uh-huh. this week to force Greg's eyeballs upon the classic 1987 film, Moonstruck. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay, like a guitar and When the moon hits your eye like oh, a big yeah, piece of pie, that's the mole. Fun fact, uh, from the producer of uh, the uh, Academy Award-winning Green Book, mm-hmm. <laughs> comes a new romantic comedy called That's Amore. Oh, well, I can't wait to revisit that for this podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. Because I see future classic everywhere on that. <laughs> yeah. Stay in your lane. Now, this is a movie, this is a, a staple in our household. However, I can't remember ever actually watching it from beginning to end. This is one of your favorite movies and our father's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And whenever it's on basic cable in the middle of, the, of a Sunday afternoon or something, everybody stops what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we generally tune in right around the big climactic scene at, at breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the rest of it, I couldn't tell you a thing about it other than the, other than the trademark, snap out of it. Or, you know, <laughs> I, I love you, Loretta. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant Nicolas Cage impression right there, Greg. Good job. I, oh, oh, there'll be more. There'll be more. <laughs> I lost my hands. Anyway. <laughs> Save it for the clips, Greg. Come on. Anyway. I know. I know you're right. <laughs> so this is the first time you've kind of seen it from beginning to end. Greg, what were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts were like the, the classic Sinatra song. Is that all there is? Oh. Um, ouch. <laughs> because, it, well, because the whole story takes place over the course of about 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's not a it's not life or death stakes this is a very light slight romantic comedy mm-hmm. so it, it's it's obviously not like about dueling families or any threats of violence or anything like that uh so i i i didn't feel like a it was really a story being worth worthy told of a movie mm. um maybe you can make like a soap like a funny soap opera out of it <laughs> or something like all these every uh, faction of this family is somewhat cheating on each other mm-hmm. um but Having said that, I do understand there's a lot of charm behind it. One of them is the performances of Olivia Dukakis and of Nicolas Cage. Um, that's what really kind of like brought it to life for me, because I don't think Nicolas Cage is capable of even of giving a boring performance, uh, <laughs> and that's and that certainly holds true in this movie. I'm glad, you know, even though he's what like 15 years uh, shares junior, 17 years, 17. Yeah, they they kind of had the faith in him to cast him and have him be the romantic lead in this movie, and same and in sharp relief to uh, Olympia Dukakis, who as the mother character keeps it very grounded, keeps it very, uh, very human. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike the rest who, who obviously, you know, throw up their hands and, you know, act like, Oh, crazy, crazy Italian Americans in the Brooklyn. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that she, that she somehow keeps it relatable. Um, those two parts of it work. But yeah, in terms of the, the rest of it, I, I, I see how it's a basic cable classic because you tune in for those like little moments and and that somehow colors like your the rest of your impression of the film like oh that's a good overall movie when really it's uh, about 120 minutes of not very much and then 20 minutes of like oh I like that that's sweet no I I fully disagree <laughs> um, but you're right it's something I think we run into quite a bit when we revisit these movies is that again like first and foremost we are story guys and. Yeah. If you know, if a movie doesn't have a good story, it's it's really got to make up for it elsewhere. If that's directing mm-hmm. or performances or look and style, then yes, it's really got to hit it out of the park. And while you're right, I think the story of this movie is quite simple. I do think it knocks it out of the park in terms of editing, style, uh, structure, and performances. And what I I think the reason why I love it particularly is because it is a Norman Jewison production, and 
I love pretty much everything he's done uh, that I've seen. <laughs> and I think that because, like the Coen brothers, he has a very deliberate pace to everything he does. And so I just kind of love the pace of this movie. I love the performances. And I think even though the story itself is pretty simple and could probably have gotten done in like 40 minutes, you know, it's, yeah. it's deli- you know, it's got this deliberate style to it that I think really kind of captures a certain time and place and just a certain energy. And I think that's why this movie kind of holds up and is included in Roger Ebert's great movies, which you, <laughs> which you pointed out pretty much movie, every movie has kind of ended up there. One point or another. Yeah. What's the matter with you? My scalp is not getting enough blood sometimes. Have some dessert. No, I shouldn't. Will you marry me? What? Huh? Will you marry me? Bobo, take the card away. Very good, Mr. Loretta. Are you proposing marriage to me? Yes. All right. You know I was married and that my husband died, but what you don't know is I think he and I had bad luck. What do you mean? Well, we got married at the city hall, and I, I think it gave bad luck the whole marriage. I, I don't understand. Right from the start, we didn't do it right, okay? Could you kneel down? On the floor? Yeah, on the floor. This is a good suit. I know that. I helped you pick it out. It came with two pairs of pants. You know, Johnny, it's for luck. I mean, a man proposes marriage to a woman, you should kneel down. Well, John, why don't you bring up some of those qualities that you do like about the movie, and I'll dispute all of them. One, deliberate pacing. Okay. Deliberate is just just another way to say uh, staid and boring. Oh, how dare you? (laughs) So there's not a lot of directing or editing going on here. Everything's kind of in a wide... I should say this is written by um, John Patrick Shanley, who's a Tony Award-winning playwright. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if this this is an, a wholly original screenplay. It's not based on a play of his. Mm-hmm. So, and I was surprised, but it could, but it could have been. And I'm surprised why it wound up being a movie. Oh, instead I of, say, yeah, I I have no doubt that you know the impetus of this probably was a play, or at least he probably had the idea for the story and then just eventually did it as a screenplay instead of an actual script or something. I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, because as you said, the story is very simple, and it's the reason you. If you want to do a play, you're somewhat confined by the parameters of the stage and costumes and time. And with a movie, you don't really have you don't really have those limits. So I'm wondering why he wanted to why he and the producers wanted to blow this up into a movie rather than keep it on the stage. Uh, so um, he could get share in the lead performance. Come on, she's not gonna she's not gonna do theater. Come on, that's beneath she's her. Not gonna slip it on yeah off Broadway and then hope that it gets it. Uh, didn't she think this was gonna be a turkey? Or... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she thought she was mm. doing a terrible performance the whole time, and turns out she won an Academy Award, so the meritocracy wins again. <laughs> yes. Go watch Green Book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now Green Book's not bad. Nor yeah. nor is Moonstruck bad. Um, but I I have some I take issue with some things. Okay. Uh, May I list? I have a list of grievances here. Oh dear. Uh, number one, it's cartoonish depiction of supporting characters. Mm. So although we center on Cher, who's an independent woman, she's a widow, uh, but she's independent uh, in that she's an accountant for all these little local businesses in Brooklyn that are probably have probably been gentrified like ten years later. Mm. Um, but she's dating this absolute pud played by Danny Aiello, mm-hmm. and we get no kind of background to their relationship. But suddenly he just proposes marriage. Um, I think poorly, sorry, very poorly proposes marriage. (laughs) So if there's one thing we know about Loretta, or at least I think some of the ways the early scenes of the movie try to characterize her is that she's very pragmatic. Uh, Like you said, she's Mm. already been married and she's already, uh, sadly, her husband has passed. And, uh, you know, on her mind, she's always thought like, well, you know, let's not try to do this again. But also I still want kids and she still wants that kind of stability of a family. So obviously she's kind of settled for this guy who really doesn't kind of drive her loins in any crazy direction but you know he's uh, well, steady who and would? i mean yeah danny, danny aiello that's that's why i couldn't get over like he is such a dull presence in this movie i but couldn't that's understand the point. why anybody that's uh, the point he's supposed to be stable he's earnest he loves his mom he's he's yeah he's a pud but he's reliable i guess and uh, uh, 
I don't know. Well, again, like in terms of like being gripped by a movie, like you want to see things you identify with. I didn't want to see this like kind of live action cartoon depiction because it starts with the the most fumbling marriage proposal ever. Like he won't even get on his knees. He doesn't have a ring. Like if you just want to talk about like you can talk about marriage, but don't also don't have like the the guy bring over dessert and just pop the question like that. It's, it just didn't make sense to me. I mean, again, you have to like, like, like I just wanted to scream like Loretta, get out of there. Yeah. But Greg, again, go to the Coen brothers mindset. Like this is heightened reality. This isn't like, (laughs) it's not like, Oh really? Oh, is that what you were looking for from a Norman Jewison movie, John? Yeah. Heightened reality. Sure. Why not? Why not? Because the rest of the movie isn't. Greg, the moon never gets that big. Okay. There's a bit of a fantasy (laughs) element. All right. You don't get a well, full okay. moon in two nights in a row, all right? <laughs> no, technically, you can. But anyway, <laughs> yes, let's talk about that fantasy movie uh, element because, yeah, Loretta feels like she has bad luck. Um, mm-hmm. Which is kind of, which does kind of uh, butt up against, I think, the fact that she is a pretty pragmatic character. She's a bookkeeper by trade. And it is kind of funny that, you know, she, she think maybe it's because she doesn't really know what else to chalk it up to. She can't really throw any logic towards it. So she's like, eh, it's just got to be bad luck. I ended up where I am. Uh, because there's another point in the movie where Danny has to, or not Danny, uh, sorry, that's the actor's name. <laughs> yeah. Johnny has to go home to the motherland because his mother is dying. He's sick. And that's actually the yes. whole reason why he asked her to marry her, so that they could, you know, start moving on with their lives. You know, again, very mm. pragmatic, not very romantic. And I think that goes back to a larger theme of the movie, which is people not kind of giving in to their emotions. Instead, they try to explain it away or hide them. And so I think this is why it's a good starting point to be like, do you want to get married? Uh, Yes, I guess. All right. What else are we going to do? So uh, Johnny goes off to the, uh, you know, the motherland, the country. And Sicily, Sicily. Yeah. There's a there's an Palermo. Old... Palermo technically is a city, but yeah. Anyway, and she watches the plane take off, and there's an old woman there who says, "Like I cursed that plane. My sister's on that plane. She stole my man." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Cher is you know kind of taken aback by this. She says, "I don't really believe in curses." And the old lady's like, "Eh, neither do I." Um, come on, that's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, in terms of like heightened reality, the way it's directed, every shot is kind of wide. Their backs are turned to the camera, so initially I didn't even like hear what she was saying. Mm. So the little jokes that, you, like, you, in terms of you talking heightened reality, I th- you think like the energy behind the movie would be at a ten instead of uh, instead it kind of rests at a five until we get to Nicholas. But I think the character. humor comes from the deadpanness of it all. Mm. And again, like that, I think the other that's that's what Italians that's what Italians in Brooklyn are known for. That's what I'm saying. Like that's what I'm saying. It's you know. So when there is kind of a big blow up moment or people are kind of talking fast, it's kind of like it's a little more of a surprise. And I think that's why Nicolas Cage's performance kind of sticks out a lot in this movie. He's the only character in the whole thing who is kind of in tune with his emotions and lets himself feel the way he really wants to feel and expresses himself very outlandishly as opposed to everybody else. Like, again, Loretta's father famously. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Same thing with her mom as well. Okay, well, let's get to, I think, the highlight of the movie, Nicolas Cage. Because as you said, he he does express himself. He's very, opera- like, literally operatic. <laughs> he loves the opera and kind of acts out that way. Mm-hmm. I believe he said he, he took inspiration from, like, Metropolis and those German impressionistic silent movies from the 20s. He's throwing his hands up. I lost my hand. Have their hands up, yes. <laughs> like, again, that great I lost my hand. Um, I have no life. My brother Johnny took my life. I don't understand you. And now he's getting married. He has his. He's getting his. And he wants me to come. What is life? I didn't come here to upset you. They say bread is life. And and I bake bread, 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 and I sweat and shovel this stinking dough in and out of this hot hole in the wall and... And I should be so happy. Huh, sweetie? You want me to come to the wedding of my brother Johnny? Where's my wedding? Chrissy, over by the wall. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie. Bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my throat. Maybe I should come back another time. No, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day, okay? Chrissy, bring me the big knife! I tell you, I won't do it! She won't do it. So, while that works, but the problem is he looks like a cartoon character surrounded by this gray flat, like, kind of 
dirge of a movie. I mean, there is a funeral earlier, and it's not it's not sad or anything, but. Yeah, I was looking for like how to how emotionally to feel one way or the other, and it's not until finally until we meet Ronnie, Johnny's brother here, um, and she's trying to get him to come to the wedding and make amends with Johnny, that you know it felt like the movie came to life for me. Well, yeah, because that is the whole plot of the movie. Like again, the first <laughs> third is just set up. You know, now we get to introduce to Ronnie, and that's the actual catalyst for the real plot, which is uh, Loretta and Ronnie end up sleeping together. Ooh boy! Yes, <laughs> I scanned yes, John. It, you know, and generally things happen though in that setup. Oh, that's the problem. Come on, we get uh, he gets and he goes to Italy. Come on, what else do you want? We get introduced <laughs> to all this cavalcade of characters. That's well, yeah. Speaking of the cavalcade of characters, we haven't gotten to our other major players, which include Loretta's father, who's also having an affair. Mm-hmm. And now he and her, his daughter, are having affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, one with one with his, uh, one with her fiance's brother, and now him with some woman who's also like a, again like just an afterthought. Like she's a ditz. She's not. She's not a compelling character much in any way. Um, I guess that's fair. Um, hmm. I mean, again, like part of me wants to say argue. Well, that's the point. It's like, why would he need? to have an affair in the first place. That is kind of one of the big questions that, you know, the mother asks quite frequently is like, why do men chase women? And so mm-hmm. I think that is kind of the point that she is kind of dull is the fact that it's like, well, why are you, why are you carrying on with a woman who's clearly kind of beneath you? And again, it's that same thing. It's like, he has no good excuse. And again, men just like to chase women. So you could make that argument there. And that's a, that's a very bad argument. John. Why is that? Come a, on, why give is me that more. A, what, what do you mean? That's a bad argument. Oh, she's boring. That, Therefore, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is boring and sucks. Like, give her personality, or they make a lot of uh, the 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 family's patriarch being very cheap. Mm-hmm. And so you could you could uh, play up the fact that maybe he's a little bit rich or doesn't you know really spend extravagantly, unless it's on the woman. Mm-hmm. Unless like he's got this like high class prostitute or something that he's seeing. <laughs> like then I, then maybe I can understand like being kind of duplicitous and two faced. I, I think that's the one thing I do like about the direction is we do see uh, Loretta and her father in a lot of mirrors, and so like okay, that's a little like symbolism of like there being two different people in terms of their relationships. Yeah, and I think it's also the fact that they don't really personally. I think the other problem is both of these char- like again the characters don't know how to express themselves emotionally. They don't really know what's going on internally, so I think they frame them in a lot of mirrors because it's like, hey, what are you not seeing about yourself? Because <laughs> they're not directly looking they, yeah. at the mirrors, you know. Because again, they're not they're not doing any kind of self introspective whatsoever. I I mean I guess Cher's character is because again sh- eventually uh, spoiler alert she ends up with Ronnie, and. Again, that's her mm-hmm. kind of arc. She kind of realizes, all right, let's just stop being so logical. Let's kind of give in to our own emotions. Let's kind of let life be what it's going to be. And it's like, I feel okay. this way, so I'm going to be this way. So let's do it. I, I guess. Now, we can see Ronnie's attraction because he's like the, if this were an opera, he's like the, the ogre or something. Mm-hmm. He's, the fan, he's the phantom of the opera. <laughs> like, he doesn't have a lot of prospects. Phantom of the, the opera beautiful. is a musical. I am so sick of explaining this to people. <laughs> But anyway, the moment he sees, he's like literally down in the basement, but the moment he sees the beautiful Cher, yes, that I can understand, like he's falling in love. But what does Cher get out of Nicolas Cage's character? That's what I couldn't understand. Like I see... She gets some vitality out of life. She gets some excitement. I guess. She gets some, like, again, like some emotionality. She clearly is attracted to him, and she gives in to that. Whereas normally she's trying to resist Yeah, but the only sign of that attraction is that she makes him steak dinner or something. (laughs) In his lavish apartment, he literally shovels uh, loaves of bread into a furnace in the basement, like like it's the twenties or something. And yet he has this lavish apartment. I was kind of surprised. I keep I always get surprised because looking at I, him, I, yeah, I asked, I asked like, where are they? Like, are they at her place or his place? Because they, they're at his not place. They literally walk right who... upstairs, Greg. And yes, I am surprised. I know <laughs> that his apartment's so nice every single time. Because he's also, he's a putz, he's depressed, he's like, my life is over, life is meaningless. But to keep such a clean apartment, too, it's kind of a surprise. Yeah, and a perfectly made bed. He takes her to, yeah, I literally, he literally takes her to the bed. (laughs) And it's, like, perfectly made, and there's decorations, there's, like, opera decorations. Like, okay, I can understand he has a passion, but bad production, providing way more questions than answers in terms of, like, why, why the apartment's the way it is. Again, this is this is love at first sight again. Even though the rest of the movie is very grounded and realistic, like we're gonna give in to this insane twist where um, she falls in love with her fiance's brother, sight unseen. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, not sight unseen. I think I do I think the banter, the banter, kind of back and forth in that initial meeting does kind of indicate that it, like again, it's the classic kind of romantic comedy trope. They hate each other, but then they love each other, and there's that kind of back and forth. Like you mentioned, the steak. He's like, I want it well done. She's like, You're gonna get it bloody. <laughs> like they're they're already kind of like at at odds, but that's kind of what okay, they need. Okay, they okay. need they need someone to kind of challenge them, and I think that's why they ultimately end up in a relationship. Oh my God. What? What? Take it easy. At this time, I was trying to do everything right. Well, just become excited. I thought if I stayed away from the city hall, I wouldn't have the bad luck I had again. You're making me feel guilty. I'm marrying your brother. All right, I'm guilty. I confess. The wedding's in a couple of weeks. You're invited, okay? How come you didn't be like him and be with your mother in Palermo? She don't like me. You don't get along with anybody, do you? What did you do? What did I do? ruined my life. That's impossible. It was ruined when I got here. You ruined my life. No, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did. You know, you got their bad eyes like a gypsy, and I don't know why I didn't see it yesterday. Bad luck. That's it. Is that all I'm ever going to have? Oh, I should have taken a rock and killed myself years ago. I'm going to marry him. Do you hear me? Last night never happened, and I'm going to marry him, and you and I are going to take this to our coffin. I can't do that. Why not? I'm in love with you. Snap out of it! I can't. Well, let's let's get to the opera then, huh? Okay, so let's get following. To... Yeah, following a a, a whirlwind uh, <laughs> night together, mm-hmm. um, in which the moon hits everybody's eye like a big pizza pie, <laughs> <laughs> and so. That motivates uh, Nicolas Cage's character by coincidence as a performance at the at the Met the next day. Mm-hmm. They're doing La Boheme. Yep. Like, hey, come to the opera with me. And and uh, I'm surprised by that because La Boheme is a tragedy, right? About the lower classes. Yes. And here we are in a guy's apartment, like lavish two bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the the Loretta's family also doesn't seem to be hurting. But anyway, <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. For for a story. plumber, Cosmo gets off real well. <laughs> Yes. I'd like to think it's because they got in that real estate game. They got in that real estate game real early, so you know that's why they were yeah. able to afford such a fantastic lifestyle. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Also, it's probably because they were forced out by the gentrification on the Upper West Side. Yeah. Um, there you go. <laughs> which, of course, is a signal of the movie we watched last week, uh, West Side Story. Ah. Uh, there was a rumor that that movie filmed uh, at what is now the Lincoln Center. Obviously, that's not true, but. Mm-hmm. Um, th- what the Lincoln Center and other projects did was gentrify and force all the Italians and Puerto Ricans and other immigrants out. <laughs> and now it's uh, just a hovel for uh, honky Americans. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, John, they go to the, the Metropolitan Opera at the Lincoln Center, and lo and behold, guess who else is there? Oh, it's Cosmo and his fling. And I like the fact that we both get a, we both get a scene where the other side of the couple who doesn't really know each other just kind of bumps into them by accident <laughs> but they don't really yeah. realize that they're connected i thought that was kind of cute i yeah again cute a, a little mild like i don't know i don't know like maybe I, I wanted either like like farce or you know real dirge drama or something not <laughs> not this kind of in between just eh. but i think that's what makes it like kind deadpan, of work. As you i said. think that's what kind of makes it work is the fact that there's like like again like these are people who are struggling expressing themselves so when they run into each other, it's like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Forget it. Let's just, you know, back off and pretend it never happened. <laughs> That's why we need Hugh Grant. Oh. Hugh Grant is an expert at bumbling. And the problem is Cher is way too much of a confident actress and woman that mm. I, I didn't buy like that she has a hard time like expressing herself or a hard time making a decision. It is kind of Maybe weird, that's the, issue. the kind of Stella gets her groove back kind of montage that happens halfway through the movie. Because you're almost kind of a, oh, like, yeah. part of the marketing was the fact that Cher's in this movie. So, you know, she looks like Cher. But for the first half of this movie, she's got grays. She's not really dolled up. She's very kind of like, and then once she decides, all right, I'm going to go out with this date on Ronnie, that's when she kind of is like, she gets her hair done. She gets her makeup done. Oh, she looks fabulous, darling. Believe me. Um, <laughs> for 1987. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry, but their hair. She's suddenly eight. Foot, yeah, she's she's six foot, um, six foot seven with the hair. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. Whatever. So it is kind of like what kind of goes along with that theme of like, all right, she's like she's got a new lease on life because again, she's finally met someone who kind of challenges her and brings out this kind of spire, this fire, this spark out of her. 
but mm-hmm. it almost kind of happens. You're right, a little too late into the movie because again, we're expecting Cher to be beautiful. Like when's when's Cher gonna finally yeah. look like Cher? <laughs> and isn't that the case with the another romantic comedy from this year, Working Girl? Mm-hmm. Um, Which we've like, revisited for this podcast. Go check out older <laughs> yes. episodes at Aspiring Snobs at gmail.com. But isn't that the same case here with like, uh, oh, she's gonna assert her femininity for feminine wiles and power how by becoming beautiful (laughs) it was the 80s that was the message to all movies that's true just it's all going to be cosmetic and and on the surface that's it of course of course (laughs) now we need to talk about uh olympia dukakis and her role oh yes because while yeah while this is going on and while uh daughter and father have found each other in these um in these cheating relationships um the mother also finds herself tempted uh, by another suitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes out alone. She knows, even though she doesn't have hard evidence, she knows that Cosmo's seeing somebody else. Um, and she runs into a guy played by John Mahoney, um, who's also uh, unlucky in love. Mm-hmm. But that's because he always tries to go after these younger women. And they get to mm-hmm. talking and chatting. And again, it's the same kind of theme that's been carried over through the movie. Where's that spark? Where's that vitality? He kind of knows that he's a putz, and he knows that you know he's his best years are kind of behind him, so he ends up chasing these skirts, these younger women, because he thinks that, you know, oh, this is Well, gonna... his, his technically his students. He's a college professor. Yeah, okay, so that's a little, yeah, students, it's a little creepy. Is, it's yeah. a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the movie tries really hard for you to feel sorry for him, but, yeah, looking past the Me Too movement, I think it's a little... <laughs> well, I do, well, I do, John. Come on, it's John Mahoney. Oh, uh, that's true. <laughs> if, it, if, it were anywhere, if it were anyone else playing this role, it wouldn't have worked, but John Mahoney, ugh. Exactly. And he, he can sexually harass me any day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, I'm glad we don't completely sympathize with him because there's a chance they he walks her home mm-hmm. and her 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 father-in-law sees this and obviously it's a, another complication that goes nowhere. I think that's that's my main problem is in terms of like slights and things. Like that could have been complicated if the father-in-law thought she was cheating and and rushed back to his son and said like you know d- uh, divorce this harlot or something, <laughs> like that that would have lent some stakes or something. But instead, it just kind of gets dropped, and she ultimately just says you know like uh, we're not right for each other, as you said, and like that spark isn't there, or you're not seeing what I'm seeing, which is like why guys chase tail, and you're you're in it for the wrong reasons, bud. Uh, have a good night. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's and it's a and it's a good moment. It's probably my favorite moment of the movie, um, because Olympia Dukakis is so good. Um, you also have John Mahoney, who's a character who, in that conversation, isn't just uh, either compared to how the other supporting characters are written, he could have been written as just a lecherous creep, but instead, there's a little bit more texture, personality there. And so when they do finally, like, it finally felt like, okay, now we're now we're reaching some dramatic stakes here, and the decision that Olympia Dukakis makes, like, I was like, finally, okay, we're there, like, finally we've we've reached a, a dramatic point in the movie um, that I can kind of grasp onto and appreciate. Mm. But you also feel like it was kind of it dropped abruptly. Uh, no. Okay. I I felt like I felt well, like the, yeah, um, the father in terms of what the father-in-law it. saw that that's dropped dropped abruptly because he never like goes to his son and, and confesses it or anything um basically this is all leading up to uh dinner the next morning uh well that's where i thought the payoff would be the dinner the, yeah the, so the too. final climax is they have breakfast the next morning you know everyone's come home yeah. everyone after their extramarital flings and they all kind yes. of johnny yeah johnny surprisingly comes home his mother has made a miraculous recovery mm-hmm. And so, yeah, everything kind of leading up to this big final dinner, which if were this a play, this is what it would all be leading up to, you assume, all the characters together. But Exactly. Johnny's there, Ronnie and uh, Loretta show up, and they kind of, mm-hmm. and before they even get a chance to confess, Johnny says, like, we can't get married, because she's better now. <laughs> like, I only wanted to that, marry That's you. what I didn't, yeah, John, you've seen this movie more than I have, yeah. um, as in more than once, so explain this to me. Why Why did Johnny not want to get married because his mother recovered? Because the only reason why he wanted to get married in the first place is because she thought she was dying. So okay, now that she's but, getting better, like, the like the whole impetus is kind of gone. Oh, okay. So he's like a he's like a man baby, and he yeah. needs a woman in his life to take care of him. Got it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And so now that his mother has made a miraculous recovery, and as he said, like started cooking for everybody, mm-hmm. 
then he doesn't need the wife because he's got his mother, even though she's half a world away. Yes, but Greg. Okay, that's fine. I, did right, you not I realize Johnny was an absolute man-child? <laughs> he's I only been referred exactly. to a baby like three times in the movie. <laughs> I know, but it didn't make it more compelling. <laughs> that's, that's what I didn't understand. Like, if it led up to a confrontation between Johnny and Ronnie, then I would understand it. Instead, like, miracle of miracles. Like, let's just drop that at the... <laughs> let's just drop that. Phew! <laughs> Dodged a bullet there. I didn't, I didn't want to see a movie of, of bullets being dodged. None of them hit their targets. <laughs> And it's the same because there's another couple that comes by. Uh, they own a market, and they're good friends with the Loretta's family. They come by, and they said, like, oh, what happened to our money at the bank? And it turns out, like, oh, shoot, I left it in my purse. Whoops. <laughs> and they make sure you know that that's going to be a plot point because we get a close-up of the money going into the purse. <laughs> so they know yeah, it's I like... Thought she was, I thought she stole it for her makeover. I thought that's what she did. No, no. no. But again, it's like, whoops, another, another bullet dodge. Phew. <laughs> I thought there were going to be dramatic stakes there, but thankfully there aren't. All right. But Greg, isn't there comedy found in robbing the audience of catharsis? Uh, no. Is that not a technique in comedy? <laughs> in which case, it's not. It's not the not the best joke I've ever seen. Okay, fine. <laughs> I do understand your argument. Yeah, you make a you make an interesting point in that. Like oh everything like works out. Maybe you thought this would this exactly. Would go you thought way, that this but... would. I mean the. The whole father-in-law not saying anything about seeing uh, the mom out on that little semi-date, that kind of felt like, like mm-hmm. again, like they could have just brought that up and then played it off like everything else. In the, but like I think that's what makes the scene so funny is the fact that, yeah, everything's coming to a head, and then it just deflates. <laughs> like My favorite part of that whole scene is when the mom, Olivia Dukakis, confronts Cosmo. Yeah. I want you to stop seeing her. And so he, he mm. puts down his knife, he, he slowly backs away from the table, and he just slams his hand down. And then he just sits back down, waves his hand, and goes, fine. <laughs> like, he knows he has no argument. He just needed that, like, he needed that little release. Because, again, he's a man who cannot, he's, he's not in tune with his emotions. So that's all he can get out is just an impotent little smack of the table and just, like, fine. <laughs> yes, that's the only one I understood is because, again, it's appropriate for that character. It would make sense for the character to, you know, he can't express his emotions. He has this chance, but it's also clear that he's very deferential. Like that, I can understand the balloon deflating. deflating. It's the rest of them that I couldn't abide okay. by. Like, I did want to see Johnny and Ronnie fight. Um, the one-handed uh, firecracker guy <laughs> against this man baby. Like, well, that would be, that, that would be, you're saying going with character, it's like, do you really see Johnny, like, blowing up and fighting? Come on. <laughs> Johnny's a marshmallow. <laughs> but I, I, I picture a, a hysterical slap fight, to no. be honest. Um, <laughs> Uh, Nicholas Cage would have made faces. He would have done weird things with his hands. He loves to act with his hands. So <laughs> I guess that's ultimately uh, one of the issues we run into with this podcast is, again, we already come in with these preconceived notions of, quote-unquote, what a classic is. And if it doesn't meet yeah, whatever so. our weird expectations were, <laughs> then <laughs> we can't help but be disappointed. Yeah, or somehow we're, we're arrogant enough, <laughs> because we're already snobs in a way. We're arrogant enough to say, like, oh, we, we know what's better for a movie. <laughs> Well, we do end up saying, like, well, it was the 80s. What do you expect? <laughs> everyone was, yeah. everyone was <laughs> on too. I guess, yeah, we also have this lens of history just being like, oh, they were like Neanderthals back then. We're, we're proud, intelligent homo sapiens. Uh. Loretta, I can't marry you. What? If I marry you, my mother will die. What the hell are you talking about? We're engaged. Loretta, what are you talking about? I'm talking about a promise, okay? He proposed. Because my mother was dying, and now she's not. Oh, Johnny, you're 42 years old. She's still running your life. And you are a son who doesn't love his mother. You are a big liar, okay? Because I have a ring right here. Well, I must ask for that back. Uh, You know, all right, the engagement is off. In time, you will see that this is the best thing. In time, you'll drop dead, and I'll come to your funeral in a red dress. Loretta. What? You'll marry me. What? Uh, where's the ring? Johnny? Can I borrow that ring? Thanks. Loretta Castorini, will you marry me? Yes, Ronnie, in front of all these people, I'll marry you. Do you love him, Loretta? Ma, I love him awful. Oh, God, that's too bad. 
I can say, in spite of its charms, though, I, we can only judge the, the hour and 46 minutes we have. I wish um, there was more at stake. Uh, that said, it still has its charms. Again, I like Nicolas Cage's performance. I like Olympia Dutakakis. If you are going to tune into the movie, enjoy that. Uh, however, the rest of it, I just I just can't abide by. And especially you. How could you approve of a, of a pro-cheating movie? <laughs> this is bad. This is a sinful affair. <laughs> Greg, it's the 90s, okay? Everyone's swinging. Everyone's everyone's a sex expert now, okay? Read Dan Savage. This is true. Oh, it was ahead of... You're right. It's ahead of its there time. You, go. you said 90s, so yeah, the movie was ahead of its time. <laughs> and I mean, technically, they weren't even married. Like, come on. Did you even picture, like, I, Johnny and uh, Loretta ever having sex? Let's be honest. <laughs> I will... Exactly. Maybe that's why they omitted, like, their whole the backstory of their relationship before this because if they if they had any like clear affections for each other it would have made the the audience say cringe at that the relationship true. between Loretta it and it would Johnny feel more like a betrayal or, excuse me yeah. and instead we need to sympathize with Loretta okay yep. I love this movie I think it's fantastic mm. um, again just I love that deliberate pace I love that you know Kappa that's the only thing I use you know like that kind <laughs> of like you're absolutely right maybe it could be a little more dramatic maybe it could like the stakes could have been higher but I think that's also part of its charm is the fact that yes it does rob you of that catharsis and it does it doesn't push those buttons too hard and i think that's what makes it kind of like a pleasant little movie and that's why you know it is a basic cable classic you can come in at any point and it's like oh this is too much i can't handle this right now it's like no it's a nice little staid little pleasant aside and you know what that's fine and it's fun and everyone had fun I I guess yeah. I just wanted to, I sat down deliberately like in a distraction-free environment mm-hmm. like watching this movie. Like I didn't I guess I didn't want like just pleasant fare that you know floats away <laughs> <laughs> like a deflated like a deflated balloon blowing in the wind. Uh I wanted, you know, something with a little bit more catharsis and and something to take away from it. Like I didn't take anything away from it other than, you know, just a pleasant 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And so it just didn't add up to like the sum of its parts, I don't think. Mm. But that's what this podcast is about, agreeing to disagree. And it's possible that, yeah, we don't fill an hour properly either <laughs> with insight and comedy, but we do our best. And I mean, what else could you ask of us? Gosh, it's too much sometimes. <laughs> I know, it is. St- John, snap oh. out of it. I didn't mean to hit you. I'm it's, sorry. It's all right. I forgive you. I can't. <laughs> Again, some of it works, a lot of it doesn't. Mm. But, John, I've got, I've got an idea. Okay. Let's recommend something that, that, that's all work. That'll do the work for oh, you. Oh, I love it. I love it. What, what do you have to recommend, Greg? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we've already gone through the trouble of sitting through a, a, a fun romantic comedy for you to tell you if it's good or bad or not. <laughs> um, why don't we tell you uh, other things that we watched recently uh, that we can tell you is good or bad or not? Um, usually good. Uh, almost 100% of the time good. <laughs> but uh, we do this in our patented section, Spotlight. Sound drop. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Boom. <laughs> Got it. All right. Did it. John, I had a very fortuitous spotlight oh, here. Geez. Well, not fortuitous. Uh, the the woman I love, uh, she was laid up with a cold. And that that meant two good things. One, I got to dote over her and prove what a valuable boyfriend I am. <laughs> and B, it got it clued me into her um viewing habits while she is recovering and wouldn't you know it that includes uh disney classics from the 90s that i have never <laughs> that i haven't seen because i was a grown kid by then don't give me this baby stuff i want to watch grown <laughs> grown man movies like the lost world jurassic okay. park and the matrix <laughs> so yeah i list, i missed a lot of movies from that disney era but i got a chance to uh, catch them this weekend All right. And one of them I want to talk about right now is uh, another movie I, I, I have sort of a, a lukewarm take on, especially since this movie is now 21 years old. But <laughs> um, kind of have um, a, a positive and negative say, things to say about it. And of course, I'm talking about part of the second tier of the Disney Renaissance, and that's the movie Mulan. Oh, okay. I was like, so many directions we could have gone with. We could have gone to Hunchback yeah. of Notre Dame. We could have gone Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to those maybe in later weeks. I got to save. I've, I've got to save a few, maybe okay. <laughs> on some on some thinner. Got to bank a few. Yeah, I, I I just want to talk about Mulan. This is generally regarded in the in terms of the second tier of uh, Disney movies from the late '80s, early '90s. Top tier, obviously, uh, Little Mermaid, Lion King, Aladdin. Uh, middle tier. Uh, once it starts to 
uh, trend downward is Pocahontas and uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame, and maybe we get an uptick in Mulan. Mm. And so I want to start with what's positive about it. Uh, A, one thing is that they clearly needed another Robin Williams-esque performer um, <laughs> to, to, to jazz it up with some comedy. Thankfully, they got Eddie Murphy to do that as the Dragon Mushu, and that mm-hmm. I did like laugh out loud at. Is he is he more or less annoying than Donkey? Do you think? I mean, Donkey, so, we've had way too many in too many movies to kind of get used to him. But <laughs> that's the thing. I think he was he's more uh, intentionally a show stealer in Shrek mm-hmm. because that movie's designed to be like a Disney parody, and so he's designed to like butt in and comment on everything. Here, at least in Mushu, he's playing like a character with motivation, other than just like a, an annoying presence who just tags along in the journey. Like here, he's. He's he's his character is like aspiring to be one of the great protective spirits. Like he's he's obviously a, a little guy who who's not a warrior, so he tries to use Mulan to fight in this great war against the Huns, and so like at least he can understand his motivation in addition to being like a just a, a an energetic presence. Um, when the rest of the movie is like tr- treats that war element very seriously, I mean very seriously. <laughs> um, because this is also one of the most beautifully animated movies I've seen. It's at the it's at the height of I think their powers in terms of not just the the drawn animation but also the corrections with computers and and what they could do with 3D animation. Like I, I remember the big money shot in the trailer for Mulan was the Hun army like going over this mountain pass. Yeah, um, that that still looks spectacular 21 years later. And yeah, it's just one of the most beautifully animated movies I've ever seen. Where it falls down though is I think it's like it's balance and pacing. Um, because this is technically a musical. I thought you were going to say gender politics, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see anything hugely problematic, but then again, I'm, I'm still a a middle-aged white man in America, so (laughs) I'm not, I'm not in tune to these things. So I thought the, the gender politics or whatever was fine. Again, it's based on an old legend of a, a woman, uh, dressing up as a man, and they also make it like uh, that she's sacrificing herself for her father because they they take the oldest uh, male from the family. She's an only child, so he she she's doing it to protect her father too. So it's not like um, in terms of like proving yourself, like you can understand like say the the gender politics of the er the era where like oh she's just supposed to be a bride, not supposed to be a warrior, and she'll like she'll prove them wrong with her feminine wiles and her <laughs> strength that you wouldn't expect out of a woman. But so I thought that was fine, but. It, it, remember, this is also like a traditional Disney musical from the era. Oh, of course. Um, but they only really give you four songs. There's a 20-minute like chunk through the movie where it's like a musical desert, and it's all about like Mushu's character. Like that. There's one. T- it felt like the movie was like directed by like five different people, and they all had like one scene they were working on, <laughs> and they stitched it together kind of wrong. Mm. Like it's like a it's like a bad patchwork quilt. So you got these like a beautifully animated sequences of like a battles and wars in in the Hun army looking like looking like like literal monsters um, <laughs> but then you, you contrast that with like uh mushu like being his like wacky self and like breaking a statue and these other like ghosts or something like it it feels completely disconnected from each other no more is that clearer than our main song well not our main song but one of the few like actual good songs that there are in the movie is um the soldiers are singing like hey we're gonna fight uh we're gonna find a woman worth fighting for yes um, a girl worth fighting in, for fighting for yeah it's an earworm um and it's cloaked in irony because they don't know that there's a woman in their midst and she wants to prove that she's intelligent and, and capable of fighting a war and, and can break out of those gender roles exactly but of course the rest of the guys are like i want a woman who's beautiful and just clean <laughs> yeah they and, want and yeah keeps the house up yeah <laughs> they want the kind of stereotypical kind of like stay-at-home wife <laughs> yes but uh th- there's no greater like kind of like showing what's off of it there's no greater sign that something is off about the movie is because the song literally ends something worth fighting for smash cut to a village that's been razzed and (laughs) over the crest uh, hundreds of dead bodies (laughs) well again there's that contrast greg okay (laughs) it wouldn't have hit so hard if there wasn't that song at first okay (laughs) exactly we're gonna give you we're gonna give you a plate of uh candy followed by uh uh, a salad laced with the the bitterest dressing ever greg you you can't can't just have like consistency okay there's got to be contrast there's got to be hard smacks to the face okay i want That's good the... contrast <laughs> i want good contrast i don't want smacks to the face again what restaurant serves you a smack to the face like that you would you would send the food back <laughs> you're just constantly like oh like you want everything just like linear so linear <laughs> <laughs> linear. No, I'm not talking about linear. I'm talking about consistent in terms of tone ah. or at least transitions that work. How about that? Mm. 
I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie, it is a very dramatic transition, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it works. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, Disney radio on Spotify, so let me tell you, when mm-hmm. that song kind of comes up, that is the most <laughs> weird, abrupt ending of any song, so <laughs> yeah. This jaunty tune followed by <laughs> mass destruction and death, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> Um, so that's one problematic part of it. The other, I think, hugely problematic part is its depiction of the Huns. Mm. Now, as somebody with Mongolian ancestry, as I'm sure millions of other Americans do, because Genghis Khan, all he did was conquer Central Asia mm-hmm. and fuck. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's why if you ever send in your, like, your 23andMe, everybody like around the world has like 0.1% Mongol, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, the, uh, Genghis Khan sired a lot of folks. He was anyway. very fecund, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but uh, not problematic. It's not like saying all oh, Mongols are monsters. But it's like at times the, the the conqueror here does look like a werewolf. The way he like breaks out of things, and and it's in sharp relief to say Jafar or Scar, who are way better like kind of characterized villains. Mm-hmm. Um, at least they get their like own songs or motivations or something. And in here he's just the Mongols are just treated like like beasts, like literally with black eyes and <laughs> yellow pupils. And like, I was like, it's to some point I was like, come on, like <laughs> yeah. g- give me something more here. <laughs> like they're not cunning. They're not. Yeah, it's not. It's just not. It's not as interesting as those like kind of top tier Disney Disney movies so mm-hmm. um, that said there is a lot still a lot to recommend about it and obviously I'm not going to deny that uh the affections that uh, my friends had for the movie as kids. Like, I'm not going to say, like, oh, you're wrong and stupid <laughs> when, you, when you watched the movie when you were a kid. Like, obviously, I don't say that. But, um, you know, as, a, as an adult seeing it for the first time, I, I could see a lot to recommend, and I could see some some bits that uh, didn't work for me. But overall, pretty darn good. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember thinking, like, yes, it does certainly feel like a second-tier Disney movie. It's, and that's kind mm. of the weird thing about the Disney Renaissance is like trying to look at them all holistically, like. Mm. And in that phase, you talked about kind of the Pocahontas, like Nostradam phase. It's like they were trying to kind of break out and tell more kind of dramatic, like sweeping stories. Like this is like Mulan is a war film <laughs> at its heart, but also yeah. we still need the wacky character sidekick, you know, like that kind yes. of thing. It's so it's it's very strange. It's a very strange era for Disney, I think, and I think that's also part of what makes it probably more interesting than some of the earlier stuff like Beauty and the Beast, personally. I mean, I, well, I, I they're both yeah, great I films, but um, yeah, I, I do like when Disney was a little more ambitious with those later movies like Pocahontas. Granted, they weren't probably as good films, or at least not as much fun to watch, but it, it's it's interesting. You know, I kind of want to give them some credit. Well, yeah, they were ambitious. They were obviously trying to be inclusive, mm-hmm. for one thing, too. Um, this is like before, like it feels like everything changed in 2011 when the idea of like wokeness <laughs> kind of emerged. <laughs> but in terms of like trying to be inclusive with telling stories like Pocahontas and Mulan, like I can I can understand. Um, you know, th- maybe there are some blind spots here, like not casting solely Chinese actors in these voice roles. Like Harvey Firestein voices <laughs> voices a, a, a character, and and he's not given enough to do. B.D. Wong uh, voices the main love interest in Mulan. I feel like they could have cast maybe somebody better because his voice is like too soft. Mm. <laughs> like he's supposed to be he's supposed to be like a military captain, but he's also like like B.D. Wong's best known for playing like sn- snivelly or snide characters. Um, so <laughs> like that voice just didn't work for me. Uh, so, but yeah, it's an interesting era. I don't want to be cynical, but I think it all came to like a, a head when. Like following like the, these triumphs after triumphs after triumphs, like Disney stakeholders were like, "Oh, you're gonna do this once a year, right? <laughs> you're gonna have a, a four quadrant entertainment with a with a world class soundtrack and toys and things to, to merchandise." Yes, <laughs> yeah, and so that's why they that's why they started scrambling like, "Oh crap!" Like, and, oh well, and we have to be inclusive too. Like, <laughs> like thing with the, the we like, need a Disney princess of every nationality. <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I think the Lion King really said like, "Oh, how dare you try to tell the." the uh, story of Africa with all white voices mm. like so like oh crap like we got to over we got to steer that way too while also making entertainment for everybody that's merchandisable and sells well and gets huge critical acclaim like and they just in the in the latter half of the 1990s like they just couldn't do it but as you said, like that doesn't make the the entertainments bad, and and in some cases makes them more interesting. Like uh, the Emperor's New Groove is maybe another one I'll talk in a, in a later week because it's not a musical and is a little bit more like jazzy and self-referential and seems like a little more more improv Im- improvised or different mm-hmm. than the other like Disney movies of the era. So, yeah. 
Well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're finally catching up on this now, Greg. <laughs> I did. Yes, I'm a grown man watching uh, watching twenty watching twenty year old baby cartoons. movies for babies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This kid, I was I was watching Fight Club at the time. Fight Club. It's like the best movie ever. Because <laughs> it's like we don't need like corporations and like it's got like buff guys fighting. So that's me pretty much. <laughs> it's like so cool. And what's great is that there's obviously no satire or at all. Like it's not trying to tell any deeper thing. It's just like guys fighting and that's cool. We should start our own no, Fight Club. No, John. No, I know. I know that. I know that it's like uh, it's like telling a satire and it's like funny. Uh, don't ask me to articulate what that is, but <laughs> I, I know that it's satirical. Um, I know that. So. It's like really smart. I just can't explain why it's yeah. smart. <laughs> so anyway, John, what do you have for Spotlight? Well, Greg, getting older, one of the things you realize is that you stop listening to new music. It's it it doesn't matter. <laughs> like course. any music that came out past 2003, it's like who cares? It doesn't matter. Um <laughs> but recently we we've, we've we've gotten a Spotify family plan and I've realized I have actually started like discovering new music and also youtube's algorithm also kind of helps with that a little bit like i've been i found myself discovering new music that i actually enjoy and i thought that phase in my life was over so i'm kind of i'm proud of myself um wow. and i want to go john <laughs> thank you <laughs> and i want to recommend uh, a band that i've discovered that i actually really like a lot it's called caravan palace now okay. you're thinking to yourself caravan palace that's a contradiction in terms a palace stays put caravans move that doesn't make any sense but they're sure <laughs> that's ex- that's the first thing on my mind but anyway <laughs> like third eye blind <laughs> it's got to be clever greg it's got to be a thinker yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um they're uh, if you had to kind of categorize them sadly i think they would fall under a term called electro swing which is uh, uh, as embarrassing as you probably assume it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was biting my tongue, but <laughs> go on, continue. I'll, I'll reserve judgment until uh, give you. I'll give you some more rope to hang yourself here. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think that's kind of uh, emblematic of their earlier work. I think in their later, kind of more recent work, it's kind of expanded out, and it's 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 still positively electro. But I think they've kind of let those kind of swing elements fall by the wayside. Although I kind of, I do, that's part of the reason why I was kind of attracted to them in the first place, that whole kind of anarchic sense of like sw- an old timey genre meeting a new contemporary genre. I think that's what's kind of interesting. Um, and so the visual element though that I want to recommend is that all their music videos that you'll be able to find on YouTube are animated. And each one is mm. kind of a different style and they all kind of take on different forms and i think it's really interesting and kind of like fascinating stuff how how these animators have chosen to interpret these certain works the most popular one i think is for a song called like lone digger that one you might have seen pop up on youtube it's about like a gang of cats like these ruffians who go to this strip club and get into a fight with a bunch of like a gang of oh you have yeah you have shown me this before yeah Um, so um the music didn't jump out to me more of that um (laughs) kind of the mise-en-scene or whatever of these like kind of uh silhouette uh animal figures in this club or something so that that stuck out to me more than the music i now i worry this is like okay go where the the quality of the music is like beside the point it's like what fascinating video are you going to make instead exactly <laughs> well i mean but that's the weird thing about okay go is that they actually do make really great music but yes they need to oh have... yeah i love okay go yeah they need to have sadly they regardless need to have a... of what the video was yeah sadly they need to have a gimmick to kind of stand out and i think caravan Pal- uh, yeah. palace has found its gimmick which is we do crazy animated music videos and the reason why i bring mm-hmm. them up now is because uh, a few weeks ago they came out with a music video for their new single called miracle which uh goes in a very not safe for work direction so cover your kids eyes do not do not okay. show them this one uh it's kind of like like a conquistador kind of going through like this peruvian inspired jungle and he comes across these amazonians so it's it's very fascinating based on kind of like again like you think of them as like electro swing in their earlier work all has like you know sci-fi old-timey sci-fi elements and you know seeing them kind of expand out i think it's kind of fascinating so I say, check them out if you have the chance. You need some new music okay. discovery? Go for it, my friends. Okay, that's that's good. I've, again, I'm going to hold fast and not listen to any new music after the year 2011. Okay. So. <laughs> and I'm holding true to that, so I will not be enjoying this car- caravan palace or uh, whatever you called it, itinerant uh, castle, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> instead, I will be uh, just re-listening to Interpol's old records <laughs> and... Uh, what else? Uh, the Blue Album by Weezer. Um, the Black Album? Please, get out of here. Um, but John, I mean, th- that shouldn't stop people from recommending stuff to us. But John, how can they get in touch with us? How? Ugh, it's, it's as if it seems impossible these days. <laughs> I know. Well, 
Let me tell you, Greg, thanks to this newfangled connected internet, you're able mm. to find all sorts of new things. And yeah. you can also John, did you know this thing's been around for 30 years? What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> gosh. Do you want to feel old? The internet came out 30 years ago today. <laughs> but yes, you can connect with the Aspiring Snobs on this internet by going to your podcast service of choice, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever, and you can rate us five stars and give us a subscribe. Yeah, and if you want to connect to us personally... Um, not just mm. you know, give us five stars because you've loved yes because you loved our show you gave it five stars on the on your podcast platform Apple Podcasts I think is the biggest one but uh, if you want to connect with us personally and say like hey I have objections to your thoughts on uh, Moonstruck or Mulan or Caravan Palace or whatever go ahead send us an email aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com mm-hmm. um, you can also say like hey uh, I loved your thoughts on Moonstruck uh, why don't you review my favorite movie which is X mm-hmm. um, that's, of course, Malcolm X. Uh, we may watch that for a future episode. <laughs> oh, we missed out on Black History Month. We wasted all our Black History Month. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what we should do. We should reserve Black History for the, just that one month. That's Come why on. we gave it to them. Gosh. <laughs> no, we can do better. All right. We will look at stories like that celebrate different experiences, like Moonstruck, the Italian-American experience. Of course. That, is been, that has not been explored at all in movies and film and television. <laughs> So yes, and also you can follow us on social media at Aspiring Snobs on Twitter, and we also have a Facebook page, Aspiring Snobs Podcast. Mm-hmm. So please give yes. us a like, give us a follow, and help us build this Aspiring Snobs community together. Yes, and there you will find what movies we're watching in the following weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you will not find what we're watching next week. No, because next week I'm getting married, so we're we're taking yeah. a week so off. <laughs> Yeah, we're taking a week off. We thought uh, that's kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. We're going to focus on that. <laughs> as much as we love our podcast What are we going to do? I mean, bank episodes? Like professionals? <laughs> Screw that. <laughs> no. And they wouldn't be timely. You know that you, know, you you tune in for Aspiring Snobs, not just for the witty banter, but also for our thoughts on the current events of the time. Who's so. playing Fortnite, guys? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard about this Fortnite? It's crazy. Yeah. D- didn't you hear I referenced the uh, anniversary of the World Wide Web? That was like two weeks ago. It feels like an eternity ago. Didn't you just hear me say that? I mean, Donald Trump. Have you heard this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this, guys? Folks, have you heard about folks, this? Let me tell you. Ladies, take a break. Men, you know what I'm talking yes. about. Well, that won't that won't happen at the wedding. Everybody will be there. Everybody will be involved, and we'll send pictures. We'll share with you uh, what's going on at this wedding. But until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Keep aspiring, you old cannoli. Hey, Mazel Tov. <laughs> <laughs>